Aloha, folks, and welcome to the Solar Coaster live show here with Jason Verkart in Osaka, Josh Porter in Maui. We are here after quite some time to uh, to get dig deep into the Solar Coaster world of news and events, and we get a great show Here's today. A very too. relative concept, Josh, <laughs> but okay. Apparently, when you don't do shows for long periods of time, all the news is difficult to keep up with. And also, when it happens to ramp up for various reasons, the natural evolution of all this technology, and you know, thanks to Putin for uh, basically uniting the world towards renewable energies, uh, it's a crazy time. <laughs> that was my line, dude. <laughs> oh, geez, did I steal it? Josh, steal your thunder porter. Sorry, man, go for it. Always. <laughs> no, it's just the right thing to say. <laughs> I was thinking with that beast guy, right? The one we watched uh, to learn about how to make viral videos. I don't know if people ever like, you know, think of solar videos as something that's potentially viral, but I was like, man, if we just said, thanks, Putin, you know, in the very beginning of that icon, that probably would do the job. So probably get a lot of views. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we get a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Interesting things, I think I should say. And then also uh, our main show content today, we happen to have a backlog of content from the summer, from some previous shows, even as early as the beginning of the year. Um, we're talking about some really awesome people that have been in the archives. We haven't had a chance to release yet. So today we're uh, working on a storage and energy storage series. And the first one we're going to release today is actually pretty radical. Do you want to talk about it at all? You want to just share what you, uh, what, what it is? Um, well, I just finished watching it again. As, as, as Josh was saying, it's a bit ago now. Um, Discussing with uh, CEO and uh, chairman of the uh, Kauai uh, Energy Cooperative, which is one of the few uh, non, uh, one of the only, it's the only publicly, not publicly traded uh, energy uh, provider in yeah, the state a, of Hawaii. Yeah, it's a cooperative. And they have been leading the charge, uh, really, with, with renewables. Because of the way they are, because of where, where they're located, where they're situated, um, their population density, uh, they really have the opportunity to roll out a tremendous number of technologies very, very quickly, test them out, make sure things work uh, the way they're expected to. Um, but it doesn't require such a huge investment because of their small size and that's really been to their benefit because they've been if you think you think hawaii is is leading uh one of the leading states well Kauai is leading hawaii so yeah 100 so what we're talking about here is the uh kiuc Kauai yep. island utility cooperative that is the uh utility the effective utility for the island of Kauai. and if you think about the state of Hawaii as being uh, people often like to talk about the postcard from the future that often used, but very applicable and true phrase um, about renewable energies. You know, you have, when you think about big Island and that, that little nice little arc of islands, right? You got big Island. And then you think about uh, uh, Maui County, which has Kaholawe and Lanai and Molokai and Maui, the Island itself. And then over to Oahu as we head west, and then over to Kauai, and even there's more islands. There's actually a bunch of islands. People might think about that, all the different little islands up into the uh, North Pacific, uh, starting with Niihau, which is on the edge of Kauai. But the, the main islands, of course, are uh, covered by HEI, Hawaiian Electric Industries, and uh, everything except for uh, Kauai, which is the cooperative you just mentioned, right? And so David Bissell, has been leading that for quite some time. Now we get a chance to sit down with him and interview him about something very specific, very awesome, PSH, which is definitely not pumped solar <laughs> hydro, <laughs> which is what I said in the beginning of the interview. It's pumped storage 
hydro. And um, now here's the thing, folks, when we think about energy storage, people think batteries, hmm, electric batteries, right? And, uh, but there's all this different methodologies to store energy. They, they, they exist. And the geography where we live in the world often kind of dictates which ones uh, pencil out. Which ones make sense, you know, and, and, and we're going to be able to take a look at a lot of different unconventional only because we don't tend to think of it that of these things as energy storage, uh, but super cool things. And a lot of them are getting tested in Hawaii, but there are other ones that are being tested in other parts of the planet. But in the case of Kauai, Kauai is a really wet place, boatloads of water, boatloads of rain. Right. And uh, also got abundant uh, solar and abundant wind resources. And so we're moving towards these 100% renewable energy mandates. And Kauai is in a place where they've already done so much leading the charge, just as Jay said, uh, in terms of solar and solar plus battery and new tariff types to deal with that over the course of the last decade, right? And they, they have really uh, kind of pushed forward uh, at the very tip of the spear in, in Hawaii. And so now they're going, how do we get to this next stage? How do we get from, you know, I actually can't remember the number right now because we did the interview <laughs> a month or so ago. How do we get from, you know, 50, 60, 70% up to 80, 90%, you know, of, of, of overall renewable energy uh, input, providing power and energy to the, to the quiet Island grid. And of course, just to recap, these islands are not connected by any undersea cable. They're all independent autonomous power grids. Uh, we don't have that out here. Um, that would uh, be not impossible, but a challenge and politically has been proven to be very difficult over the years. So Kauai is on its own, right? And uh, they have all of these amazing resources in terms of reservoirs at different elevation points, right? And as they get further and further down the road of that renewable energy input um, percentage and getting closer and closer to the mandate or 100% renewable energy mandate here, they're like, well, what's the next stage? What's the next step? What's the next tack that makes sense? And the one that makes sense from David Bissell's eyes in Kauai is pump storage hydro. And that means, I mean, if you want to just jump in and explain pump storage hydro, feel free, Jay. But basically we're talking about, you have a lot um, of solar and you're going to be pushing that water pump, up and harnessing all the way I mean, down. You think back to middle school, high school physics classes, you know, you have, you have a ball and you bring it up to the top of a hill. Well, you've put energy into the ball by lifting it, by putting your energy into it. Um, and then now it has what's called potential energy. And then if you let it go back down the hill, it turns back into kinetic energy and you can, you can use that and reclaim it. Same thing with the water. You know, when you have an abundance of a particular renewable resource, which is solar in their case, they don't do a lot of wind on Kauai, but, um, they, but they have a tremendous amount of solar and they run, what did you say? Up to like five hours a day, I think of absolute 100% and oversaturation. Like they just have so much solar coming into the grid. They can't use it all. What do you do with that extra abundant electrons? abundant electrons during that time. And this has always been the renewable kind of conversation. The wind doesn't blow all the time. The sun doesn't shine all the time, but when you can capture it, capture it, how do you store it? Um, our solution has been um, batteries, lithium technology batteries for a while. There are a lot of other ways with giant um, towers of cement blocks that they can lift up and put down. And people are saying that may or may not be a useful technology, but it's very similar in that respect where you're bringing something when you have the energy, you move it to a high place. And then when you need the energy back, you 
lower it back down. And water is an ideal medium for this because it's completely safe. If you have a leak, it's not going to make radiation. It's just going to make your feet wet. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, really, it's really, really easy to deal with uh, as, as, a, as a storage medium. But people can't generally think in those terms. It's not something you would, oh yeah, I want to store a bunch of energy. Let's get a pond. <laughs> right, right. Well, what's fun about this, Jay, is that different environments around the world have different characteristics that lend themselves to different types of technology in order to be able to move further down the road of renewable energies. You know, you need storage one way or another. And, and, and throughout this series, by the way, we'll be in, I'll give a little bit of a heads up of what's coming next. We'll focus a little bit more towards the end of the show, but we're going to be able to talk about thermal energy. Whoa, thermal. Yep. What the heck is that? Outside of, yep. you know, making hot water. But any, so we're going to be able to talk about hydrogen. Hydrogen, Jay has been a bit of a, a bone to pick with the world for a while now on this, but hydrogen <laughs> is a form of storage in its most kind of pure sense, right? Uh, and we have a show on the Wells facility out in uh, Wenatchee, oh, I think it was uh, Washington. Mm. about their little electrolyzer. So all of this is, and then we have another one, we have um, biodiesel with Bob King and some you know beautiful uh, imagery and uh, of him working in the fields here in Maui and creating a you know a, a dispatchable source of power. So the, from the storing, you know, the um, uh, storing, uh, thankfully the, the result of sunflowers after they're processed for the most part, other forms of biomass as well. So you have uh, all these different great kind of mechanisms and as well as battery electric. But uh, this is going to be pump storage hydro. So we hope you guys appreciate that and have fun with this interview with David Bissell, Island Tilda Cooperative. But before we get to that, I think Jay and I are both kind of equally excited to be able to jump back into the world of news and events. We always get a kick out of this. And one of the problems with the radio show, the AM FM show we did for three and a half years here in Maui County, was that we had very strict times and we, we, we couldn't really just ramble on like we, we tend to want to. So uh, whether or not people want to listen to that's another thing. But we can actually cover news and events, uh, you know, as much as we want. And there's a lot going on out there. And Jay, why don't you just jump right out of the gate and let us know what some of these uh, hot, hot ones are? Sure, right away. Um, and I do want to say, you know, um, I, I think news, is, news and events is, is really, really useful because we read it all for you and then you just get the Reader's Digest version. Right. <laughs> you don't have to spend your entire day trawling around the Internet looking for for news and stuff that's interesting. Uh, but we get some biggies, right? Um, right out of the gate, I mean, obviously we have um, a war in Eastern Europe, which is causing energy issues. We're gonna talk about that. Uh, we have major players in the solar industry um, basically giving, throwing up their hands and saying, nope, never mind, we're not doing this thing anymore. No, uh, and, and we have uh, government policy shifts all over the place, left and right. So uh, I'll, I mean, I'll start right off with, um, the solar manufacturers, um, LG. Every, LG is a, a name uh, that people are relatively familiar. LG actually stands for Lucky Gold Star, which is an old name that they, they changed a long, right. long time ago. Um, but uh, LG decided um, this just this past week, two weeks ago, uh, to no longer manufacture solar panels. And this is a major shock because Seriously. LG was basically one of the, like, the, the most highly regarded besides some of the super, super premium manufacturers. They were like the leader in quality mass-produced panels. Yeah, and when and you say super, super thing. premium, you basically mean sun power. So it's- Yeah, it's, it's, yeah exactly. It's there, there, there was so, kind of the so, world- so the only competitor <laughs> in that space. 
<laughs> they were kind of the guys you could go to and not pay two bucks a watt for a panel, right? right. Uh, the panel, I don't mean the install guys. I mean the panel, right? I remember the yeah. pricing back in the day. And so, you know, SunPower is kind of the, the one that's, you know, the Ferrari, if you, if you will, or the Lexus. And then of course you could get, um, there's a slew of manufacturers out there. And then there was kind of LG, it was kind of was at the top of that pack. And I actually, to give you a sense, I have LG 350s on my roof. Um, J, uh, and Jay, uh, Jay is uh, family actually has the sun powers, right? <laughs> so these are the, um, the, the, the fact that LG made this decision. Now, I know you, you got into this article and it's, it's kind of fairly straightforward what they're saying, but it's, it's, a, and, and for everybody out there, just, you know, if you have LG, don't worry, this is a company that's been around for a long time. They're not going anywhere. They're going to honor their warranties. They're going to keep a, a, you know, X amount of panels available for replacement. And I wouldn't worry about that. I, I'm not worried about that at all. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about that. But I mean, this is a company that had gone to bat over the um, extension of the uh, Section 201 tariffs just last November. Yeah, got that approved. The Biden administration approved the uh, the extension of that, excluding uh, bifacials, but the, the extension of the tariffs for another four years. And then immediately after those hearings and it was approved, they're basically saying, no, never mind. We actually don't want to do it anyway. Right. Um, yeah. So when we think about uh, the relevance of this and why they're going about this, right, that's kind of the, the key thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's there's a lot of companies out there that are making high efficiency panels for cheap and they just can't be competitive. That's the bottom line. And with the tariffs. <laughs> right. So and, and I'm actually I'm not too familiar with exactly how those tariffs spend a lot. Do you know that off the top of your head? Because I, I, I uh, know was that. going it was going to begin step, stepping down and I had it just here. Um basically extended for another four years so it's going to be um are, are you saying that like they had tariffs levied on them for the united states market or no no, no. they manufacture the in the united states gotcha right right okay so then they were excluded from the tariffs that were coming in from asia basically yeah they didn't they well they they set up manufacturing facilities here in the u.s because they wanted to I remember this. Yeah. Um, avoid tariffs um, they have said that they're going to keep um, people on at least through the beginning of the, the q2 q3 of mm. this year so 2022 mm. um, they're they're actually stockpiling um, a significant quantity of, of of existing lines of stock right uh, specifically for those warranties that you're right. talking about. So, right. we, so having the, having those available, they will honor all the warranties. They will um, continue to sell uh, product until they can't. Um, but it's just it's just such an odd thing that they, they what we considered a, a giant company stalwart in the industry just decides never mind. And and there are some good reasons for it, but it's still a shock. <laughs> I wonder if there are patents and values that they can extract from that business because they were so high up in the um, kind of the order of quality. I wonder if there's some kind of a play there for them where they can just say, farm that out to other companies and say, here guys, roll with it, you know, and then they can focus on other things. And I don't know how well they're doing in the battery world right now. Of course, they have these different partnerships up and running, um, but the battery area is becoming commoditized too, right? So you have LG Chem, which is a separate business from LG E, uh, which is the one we're talking about with solar panels. But um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, this world is getting very competitive. That's the bottom line. And yeah, companies... and I, th I think that's it. Like solar panels have we, 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 <laughs> the race to the bottom. Uh, how many watts at, at how many cents it has always been the, uh, the the question that everybody asks, right? And just and just a few years ago, we were talking about a, a 
400 watt panel would be the craziest thing on the universe. Well, I got one for you. <laughs> um, the new uh, Tiger Neo from Jinko Solar. Heck yeah. Has now top 600. Yeah. Yeah. 600 plus. <laughs> and I, watt and I think panel. this plays into what LG is talking about. I mean, they have these. Um, Existing manufacturing lines, they're doing this, but they when when it's a full third again, better now, more powerful. You, you, they they kind of lost their crown. Yeah, and that's before we even start shifting over into new materials, right? So it's I and guess they've that as well. <laughs> they've just made a, a a strategic decision about this, but it's pretty exciting too when you think about the prospects. So okay, let's say LG panels are no longer being manufactured bummer, but they'll take care of their clients. And there's plenty of other companies that are ready to take over the mantle. So that being said, what do those look like? This Jinko is a great example of it. And they actually have a bifacial that I saw in the sevens, I think. Now these are slightly larger panels. So it's not actually a, you know, um, uh, apples to apples comparison to traditional panels are typically for the utility scale space, a little bit bigger, but the efficiencies are right up there with, you know, moving in the sun power thing of like 22s and 22.3, 20, to almost 23% efficiency. And the bifacials, they're very exciting because you're now you have that bifacial backside gain in addition to that, right? So, I mean, this is a world where we're talking about 700 watt modules, uh, real world conditions. And, you know, this is, wow, that's that's a whole, I remember when two, we were selling 250s. And we were like, wow, two, you know, and that's and that's just what it took. But now you have the prospect of being able to. What does that mean? Why is that important? Well, if you're talking about residential, you can do more on a given roof space, and it, it and you have less and it takes less time to do it. You know, you don't need less modules to deal with, less shipping, less everything, less the connectors, and that just reduces costs and provides you more energy for less money. You know, and that's a that's great. Efficiencies. What did what did Andre say? I remember efficiency is the main driver <laughs> for bringing the CO two footprint down, and is, and then we're talking about money as well. So that's kind of what we got going on here. And that these these are some really exciting panel types. This Tiger Neo, as an example. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely um, huge. I'd love to get some to play with. Um, these are um, bifacial modules, just to to make that very clear. Um, so they are looking for both a front side and a backside hit. But um, they, I mean, they're, they're, they were pretty conservative with that. Um, you mean the, the, the ratings that they have? The ratings, the ratings for that. They're rated um, on front side. They don't rate it on backside. So they're rated straight all? on front side. No, because they always have the way the data sheets work is they have the front side rating and then they have a potential gain as a metric and they show a 5%, 50%, 25% based on factors that we're well aware of like albedo, you know, or, you know, yeah, but this 600 watt number is actually including that because the, the, the 60 cell residential panel is listed as 460 or 40 watt. And the 72 is 555 to 575 watt. That's their rating. I'm going to bet if we pull that data sheet up right now, that that's the front side. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. So their ratings are actually not 600, but they're promising an extra. Oh, you're saying over. that's oh, so that's that 600, that 600 sensationalist number uh, yeah, is including the backside hit. Yeah, but there's another one that says like upwards of seven. I've seen that too, our different article referencing the same technology. So, you know, you've got PAM modules out there. Yeah, they're, they're, of course, that's the eye candy that's going to get the click, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, the bottom line is there's substantial changes in the, in the capabilities of these panels and companies like LG kind of, I guess, recognize that are saying, hey, they can't make a buck here.
So we're going to yep. move on to other things. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, it's exciting to, to get us. Jay, today I sat down with an, in my, the installer, um, my good friend, Damon here in Maui, and we were, and I was getting caught up because we're going to do some installation work and some videography with some great companies. We'll announce that in a second. But uh, as I sat down and talked with him, and we, we, it was like I was getting just this deluge of facts and figures. This is great. This is a great guy. He's on the front lines. He's the electrician. He handles the business and the sales himself. There's no one else really kind of like kind of uh, siloing information with this guy. So he's got it all kind of in his head. And he's like, this is what's going on with Generac. This is what's going on with Tesla. This is going on with Enphase and Ensemble. And this is, and he's like, and here's the, and I go, which, how would you rank order? What's the best? And he said, well, look, Generac's really high up there, but he goes, it's really is kind of like you get certain things with certain systems, right? And the, he's mm -hmm. talking specifically about the world of solar plus, but also about the world of PV. And the thing that struck me today was that he said, hey, there's some batteries out there, LifePo server rack type batteries that I'm doing, primarily in off-grid, but can work in on-grid scenarios too, with relatively low voltage battery systems that are totally commoditized, the pricing right now. And the pricing is like a few hundred bucks a kilowatt hour, like really good. Uh, yeah. So that is exciting. And the install is simple. So this world has shifted in the space of, let's say, 2018, it has shifted the solar plus battery residential world has shifted so much from a, Hey, maybe an LG Resu or a Tesla will come out and we can work with these panels and make this thing happen. Uh, now, boom, it's in this world where there's such a diversity of product and it's becoming commoditized even at the battery level. So there's just, I just came off that. My mind is like a, just a flurry of, of information right now, which <laughs> do you want to um, jump into some of the, some of the non-solar stuff now? Do you want to jump into some of the other stuff? Um, well, let's talk just a little bit about um, wind before we before we move on, because there's a lot of stuff happening politically uh, that's that's going to make it a little more attractive. Um, so the um, there there are auctions uh, for offshore areas, um, and this is this is um, spurred on by the uh, the Biden administration's. Uh, climate change initiatives. And there's just a whole lot of wind area opening up. And this is something that the, 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 front, the front of this article from Forbes actually says, uh, offshore wind is an untapped resource. I don't think it's completely untapped, but I, I think it's largely been ignored for um, either monetary or the not in my backyard kind of conversation. You really have to put wind very, very far out to, to not be able to see it from the shoreline. And of course the shorelines being really, really expensive property. Um, those people have uh, quite a loud voice when it comes to, to where, where we get to place these things. Um, but there, all these areas are going up for auction and we're gonna see a rapid movement uh, as, as companies come in to, uh, to start building these wind, wind farms. Yeah, uh, you know, um, I find it interesting that some people, I'll call them solar maximalists, that they uh, can be so adverse to wind. I myself am not averse to wind. I, when I see wind, I actually am quite enthusiastic. When I we have the wind, you can see it in your um, background right here. I was going to say it's right is, behind me. <laughs> right, those are one or two megawatt um, installs. There's a series of, of of installs, two different sections of installs that have been done in Hawaii, and they're controversial. And people were when they were installed over a decade ago, they were controversial 
controversial. Um, but when I think of, when I look at those, I never feel negative. Maybe it's because I'm biased. I'm in this industry and I just tend to think of the potential of wind. Right. And there yeah. are problems. Uh, there's bird strike problems. There's, uh, there's other types of issues related to wind. There's costing issues. There's maintenance issues. There's recycling issues. You know, it's not black and white, better or worse. It's like this fills a certain role. And the world of offshore wind, the United States, we did, by the way, just get off doing a show a few months ago with vineyard wind. And if you're familiar with that's the first kind of resurgence of big offshore wind in the United States of America from what you were just talking about with this new opening through the Biden administration of these new leases. And so vineyard wind is putting up something like 62 Halliad X, I think 12 or 14 meg uh, units. And those are monstrous, like building size units. And they're not actually floating wind. So when in the world of mega wind, I'll call it that, you've got terrestrial sure. you've got uh anchored and then you have floating and the thing that's great about floating is it can be just like you said far off into the horizon where maybe it's not visible but that that technology isn't super mature yet that's still kind of being fleshed out floating wind at that scale and so the anchored is what uh, vineyard's doing now and when i think about that i find that really exciting and the thing that i learned and we'll, we'll air that whole interview shortly you'll be able to check this out with andrew doba uh, I think he's a head marketing guy or head comms guy over at Vineyard. Um, you know, you, there's jobs involved and there's, you know, uh, but but the, there's all kinds of really amazing things that this produces. But one of the things that he said, the Saudi Arabia of wind, this great terminology, this great soundbite that he came up with. And he and I was like, what do you mean by that? That's a fun soundbite, Andrew. And he, he goes, well, there's, if you look at all the different spaces around uh, the United States, uh, not just the Northeast in that main area there, but also off of New Jersey and New York. And then down, I think, uh, I want to say in the Carolinas or Virginia or somewhere down there. Yeah, North and South Carolina, Oregon, most of the Gulf states are all. Oregon, right? Yeah, yeah and all Gulf states. So now these, when you look at the full resources and you bring and you aggregate them and you say, what does that equal? This is a multiple of the entire United States base load. And so when people get like negative about wind and they're, oh, well, you know, solar bus batteries, the only thing to do. And I'm like, that's a lot of batteries, homeboy. And wind, you got, you know, you got jobs, you have a different energy curve, you have uh, a lot of benefits uh, with this technology. Not to mention that that energy, that energy curve is the big thing. I said it at the head of the show. The sun doesn't blow, doesn't shine all the time. The wind doesn't blow all the time, but they're not, I mean, they're synchronous in a certain respect, but not at all all the time you can have a sunny day without wind you can have a windy night <laughs> i want i want redundancy and i want and, yeah, and i'll tell you exactly what that. as a solar as a as a solar guy for the last decade and change you know i i want redundancy in ways that people probably wouldn't be too excited you know we're going to talk about nuclear in this show series as well and i want redundancy i want to ramp up our nuclear mm-hmm. capabilities that's from a solar guy i don't want it to be the only thing but i want to do it and i believe that it's very achievable we got a great, couple of great articles i think we're is that next the articles on nuclear um we're going to jump into but wind is definitely a key piece of this puzzle. And, you know, there's there's things that you can do with wind that you just can't do alone. Some people get surprised by this. Well, what do you mean? Of course it could be. What about, just like Musk said, there's a little postage size stamp in Utah and that covers the rest of the United States. <laughs> That's what you're going to do with solar. Remember that? But the- that was that was <laughs> such a clickbaity. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, why would you need anything else? All we got to do is install a, a shit ton of uh, solar panels. Look, you know, wind, when you let's, we've talked about this before. I want to bring it up one more time. 
in Hawaii, we're at the tip of the spear in terms of renewable energy adoption and, and actual moving towards 100% renewable energy mandates so far that we're dealing with things like pump storage hydro. And when Oahu is not a big island, Maui's bigger than Oahu. And we don't have, with the current efficiencies, I don't know if they're talking about uh, the Tiger Neos, Jason, but with the current efficiencies, we cannot hit 100% renewable energies on the island of Oahu. It is from a sheer math and area perspective, impossible. You can talk to the guys. Physical impossibility. You can talk to the uh, research fellows over at DBED and they'll show you the topographical maps. It's like straightforward, right? So wind could be a great solution to handle that. Are there issues with wind? The the ocean's pretty powerful. Could these things survive in those environments? Could they, bad actors come in and cut the cords and create grid problems? Sure. But I mean, it's a solution. It's part of the puzzle. And I get super jazzed. And I I think we're going to do a show out in Vineyard, Jay. Mark my words. We're going to get out there and uh, we're going to be, we're going to be flying out and getting right into some of those rigs, man. It's going to be radical. Absolutely. <laughs> and All okay. Right. So that's wind. Are we good on wind? Do you want to talk about some more? Well, we got, we got storage. We got so many things to talk about. Um, so yeah, as you said, I'm a, uh, I've been a hydrogen proponent for a good long time. Um, it's, it's a great medium for storage. People don't see it that way either. There's this at all the trade shows the, the hydrogen folks are all segregated in their own little corner, um, which, <laughs> is, which is really offensive because <laughs> <laughs> it should be right in there next to batteries. Um, but they, a company called Green Hydrogen International is, has just announced a plan for 60 gigawatt, uh, hydrogen production facility in Texas. And the interesting thing is that it's, it, they already have um, agreements with SpaceX to provide all their hydrogen. Now, why would SpaceX want a lot of hydrogen? It's actually um, rocket fuel. This <laughs> is so of, cool, part of, man. Part of rocket fuel. Um, so <laughs> from one part methane to uh, a quarter part hydrogen is actually what fuels the current Starship designs. Um, so they need, uh, approximately 250 tons, I think it was of, of hydrogen fuel per launch. So it turns out to be a huge amount, huge amount of hydrogen, um, that they will consume. And if it comes in from renewable sources, all the better. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. You talk about Elon Musk, you know, it's gotta be, gotta be renewable, everything. And so this hydrogen source is going to be sourced. Um, they're also talking about direct carbon capture, which is kind of associated with this because you can do air capture of carbon and produce the methane through chemical processes. So get both your components. Um, but this is not new technology. I mean, if everybody, at least of our generation, remembers the space shuttle, that big orange mm. tank in the middle, that was actually um, hydrogen, liquid hydrogen, liquid oxygen uh, that they would mix and do. And that was the liquid fuel uh, portion of the space shuttle. Um, so it's, it's not super new that they would want to use hydrogen. It's just now that hydrogen has this other use as a storage for renewables. It's, uh, it's making headlines. Right. So hydrogen isn't new. Yeah, for sure. Most abundant element in the universe, <laughs> not new, but, yeah, not, but, not, <laughs> not new at, at all. Um, but, so, but it's, it is it, like, I'll just jump in for a moment. I do think that, um, this is exactly the kind of thing that I love about, the renewable energy discussion about the new energy economy. It's this kind of connection between these industries that people are not, myself included, are not always thinking about. And when you see that connection, you go, oh yeah, that's where it is. 
you know, yeah. the fact that um, we can be, and by the way, our next show in this storage series is with uh, the Indian Wells uh, Dam in Wenatchee, uh, Washington. I think I said that correctly. Uh, and it's a five megawatt Cummings electrolyzer and it produces green hydrogen. And that is the next show that we're going to air. So we're, we're talking about this, you know, in, in the space where that is the largest right now, five megawatts in the United States, it should be being deployed at this moment. I, you know, it'd be, well, I'll give them a call in a little bit and check in and see how they're doing. But this is a 60 mega, right, Jay, in Texas that's being proposed or being planned. And the fact that, and that one of the big things we learned in that process with this show with, um, oh, I can't remember her name right now. It'll come to me in a little bit. But the the representative of, uh, of, of Wells, the dam out there, is that, you know, what do you do with this hydrogen once you make it? You, of course, it has the, um, you know, there's, you can, you're, they're making it from um, the excess energy they have in the, 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 the dam and the, the hydropower. They have a mm-hmm. boatload of, of extra energy and it actually creates problems for their technical equipment. So they're going to make hydrogen with it. And now you have, okay, well, do we have a market for it? And then they're trying to, you know, figure that out and trying to work with companies. And a lot of times the oil companies are involved. And so, but this is wonderful because you're talking about touching the stars, man, you know, right. So I love the fact they're going down to Texas, they're setting up shop right there. They're trying to even incorporate, you know, carbon capture as a, as part of the, the puzzle, who knows. And then they're going to fuel the, uh, you know, the, 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 the spaceships. That's just a, yeah. the and coolest it's, and kind it's of stuff. Really interesting to see what all the, the little um, the oil companies there in Texas. You know, you get literally you're going to have the well, and then right next door they're going to be manufacturing. Right. Right. <laughs> they're going to they're going to be looking, you know, really, really, really carefully. If the business model pans out, you know, I mean, it could be a spur a real change. Yeah, it's very cool stuff. And then uh, do we? I do. We were talking about Musk as well. You know, in terms of oops, I came off the mic. We about Musk as well in terms of some of his uh, quotes recently. I mean, do we come? We, do we have that in our list? I don't think we do. In our news list, remember, he recently has been tweeting Musk that we need to uh, ramp up our nuclear infrastructure and we need to uh, ramp up our um, our oil production in order to become energy independent. So what an interesting thing to hear from a guy that's a proponent of renewable energies. It's not black or white, right? He's like, hey, look, we just can't take out, we can't take over the shortfall of oil with with a with a, a ban on Russian imports in the solar industry. <laughs> can't do that right now. Maybe in the future, but not now. No. So it's if, like it's- if you want to be if you want to be completely honest, we've been tracking it for a number of years and like basically our energy demands continue to increase and what we've rolled out in renewables really may only just only just cover what we've what we've expanded so yeah there's there's no way to just completely decide to replace the industry or a portion of the industry now that that said i think we only as the us we really only I've heard figures from three to eight percent, but I think it's three. I think it's much more like three. The impact um, 3% of the Russian band. oil is actually is actually what we what we import. So it's not a huge part of the market. I think this um, this these current uh, gas price hikes are um, a little bit of price gouging and a little bit of um, just like like the stock market. Nobody likes volatility or, or not just not being <sighs> sure about things, and so it really makes people concerned um more well, than a, they should be well i just came back from filling up my truck and yep, my sorry. 24 <laughs> gallon uh truck at costco the cheapest gas on island 109 dollars and 45 cents yep 
Did I just buy a great dinner? I mean, like, you know, yes, you did. <laughs> Holy moly, man. So yeah, it's, um, people obviously are going to be concerned about that. Um, well let's, okay. So we talked about, um, this amazing stuff that's happening with hydrogen. And, uh, of course I mentioned that quote that was a couple days ago about Musk talking about ramping up oil production for energy dependence here in the United States, and then also increasing our uh, movement towards nuclear right in the yep. u.s and we have some uh i think we're going to talk about some policy with nuclear aren't we jay um i was going to save that for the next but, okay yeah. which one do you want to jump into uh i want to hear the art i want to hear the uh the interview you want to go right to the interview okay are we there already is that what you're saying <laughs> it's been a, it's been a long time i think longer than you think <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind. All right. They may mind. Okay. So minor, let's do minor, this. Minor edit. We'll be right back. <laughs> let's do this. Here's your opportunity to check out the first uh, largest, I believe, uh, pumped storage hydro system in the United States uh, here in Kauai with David Bissell, uh, president of Kauai Island Utility Cooperative. Great guy. Let's, uh, let's go and check out that story. Well, I'm David Bissell. I'm CEO here at KIUC. We're the uh, electric utility serving the island of Kauai. We're the only utility we provide all the transmission, distribution, and for this purpose, uh, most importantly, generation for our island. Uh, we're, we're our grid. We're the whole whole standalone electric service here. So we're ultimately responsible for keeping the lights on for everyone that uh, lives or visits the uh, island. Fantastic, fantastic, and of course. Uh, Kauai is, is, is separate in some respects to the other electric generation systems and companies in the state of Hawaii. Now, people outside of Hawaii may not be familiar with that, but can you just give us a sense of how it relates to the Hawaiian electric companies? Yes, we're a cooperative. We're the only cooperative in the state of Hawaii electric provider. Um, we're the only island that's not served by ECO, an investor-owned company that has electrical service for all the other major Hawaiian islands. We were formed in 2002 when a group of community members decided they wanted to buy the utility that was put up for sale by the previous owner. And they made it happen. It's been uh, pretty successful since then and really successful on the renewable transition for us. How remarkable is that? You know, Hawaii's seen as a leader in, in, in really in many respects around the world for our deployment of renewable energy resources and movement towards renewable energies as a state. But I think within Hawaii, uh, Kauai is seen as a leader, right? So you have some, uh, I know it was, uh, your organization was given some awards by SEPA over the last few years for most, uh, I want to say storage watts per customer. And you really are out there in the front. And 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 to that to that similar end right now, we're going to be talking about not just the solar plus battery systems that you have installed at the utility scale. We're also going to be talking about this new concept. Uh, well, not new, but certainly new in terms of the, the, the scale of deployment here of PSA. Yeah, I'll walk you a little bit through the story of KIEC's uh, renewable transition. We started out with two large uh, conventional PV facilities here that were done five or six years ago. We soon realized that for a small island grid, we needed to have storage. So we did a, a PV project about the same size as the conventional ones we did when we partnered with Tesla. And Tesla came in and brought four hours of storage for all of the output of the project. At that time, it was the first uh, 
utility scale uh, PV and storage project done anywhere. And Tesla, it's great to work with. We figured it out, got it online and worked very well for us, able to store most of the output of the facility for four hours. And we went on and did some more. We signed an agreement with AES for a project that was almost twice the size of the Tesla one. Tesla was 13 megawatts with four hours of storage. The AES Lawai project was 20 megawatts with five hours of storage. That one came online a couple of years ago. Again, great company, great partner, been working extremely well. And with them, we doubled down and did one more uh, PV and storage project that is out at the Pacific Missile Range on the west side of our island. It's about the size of the Tesla one. It's 14 megawatts with five hours of storage. That project's innovative because it allows the military base to island itself. If there's a grid situation where the electrical service doesn't go out there, the base can actually operate totally off the PV and battery that's out there on our west side. So all of that PV going on, we also have a biomass plant here that's about 10% of the island and we get about 10 or 11% from legacy hydro plants. So all of that adds up to almost 70% renewable. Last year we hit 67% for our grid and really more important to the next topic, pump storage hydro, we're routinely hitting 100% renewable during the daytime when the sun is shining. So our, our grid is pretty much filled up with what we can take of conventional PV without it being stored. And it's really for an extended period of time that we're 100% for four or five hours a day often. So that's really in the sweet spot of when you can put PV in with a, with a battery, with a conventional battery of four to five hour duration. So we look at our island, how do we, how do we go further? How do we move from 65, 70% up closer to 100% and we need long duration storage. And we're fortunate enough here that on our west side, we have the topography that's perfect from some legacy uh, plantation infrastructure where we have three reservoirs at different uh, elevations ranging from 5,000, almost 5,000 feet downward to the uh, Manah Plains that is at 30 feet. And most importantly, the lower two plantations, there's several thousand feet between them and connecting a pipe between the two reservoirs, we were able to uh, do pump storage. It'll be tied in and powered by a large PV system on the Manah Plains on the far west side. It'll be a 35 megawatt PV field. That'll run massive pumps that'll pump the water uphill during the day when our grid is otherwise filled and we can't take that solar to, to our grid. Pump the water uphill, it'll store it. And at nighttime, or if it's a cloudy day, we'll be able to release the water and uh, harvest the energy and, and make more uh, renewable sourced energy at nighttime from the sun. So the important part about this project is that routinely can hold up to 12 hours of, of uh, output from solar. So the entire output of a system over the, when the sun is shining can now be stored, which is absolutely essential for us when our, when our grid is filled up otherwise. So it's a unique project. It's to use the PV and tie it into pump storage, we're not aware of any place else that that's being done. It's really because of our unique situation here with such high penetration of renewables, 
Um, we're limited on what renewables we can use on Kauai. We, we really can't do wind. Uh, we don't have a geothermal resource here and biomass is kind of out of the market on, on pricing for any more as uh, PV pricing has declined so much. So pump storage hydro was, was the next frontier. Uh, if that project uh, reaches fruition uh, by the end of 2025, it would be about 25% of Kauai's energy from that one project. And it would get us up to pushing 85% renewable. So exciting project, uh, exciting solution for us. And it really uses the uh, old plantation infrastructure, the irrigation reservoirs, irrigation ditches, and all of which are in various states of disrepair, renovates them, um, puts them back into full utilization, helps improve uh, public access for recreation. At the middle, it's on uh, Hawaiian homelands property, and it'll help uh, DHHL to put native Hawaiians on the land there because there'll be water, there'll be improved access, and there'll be electrical service. So they have plans of putting up to uh, 200 uh, native Hawaiians on agriculture homes, homestead lots up at the uh, Pu'opai Reservoir, the, the, the middle of the project. So it's, it's uh, uh, the ultimate win-win project. We take uh, existing infrastructure, we rehab it for the public, we help people get onto the land to live, and ultimately the water goes downhill and it'll, will serve uh, agriculture both at the base on the Mana Plains, which is our main area of, of uh, agricultural land on the islands, and also at the middle where the uh, DHHL and the Hawaiian beneficiaries will be developing uh, agriculture. Wow. There is so much uh, meat on that bone. There's so much that you've just described to me in terms of additional value propositions that I, I hadn't even considered. So you're actually able to, um, you know, restore the existing infrastructure and then even support agricultural, uh, uh, new agricultural operations out there. That's just really remarkable. How did this project come to fruition? Is there, was there a, a company that does this globally and said to you, hey, we want to do this in Kauai? What did that look like? It's been, it's been a long process that started over a decade ago where we began as a cooperative looking at the total hydro resources on the island. There's always, ever since I've been here and it's that's going on uh, 17 years now, the residents of Kauai have said, why aren't we doing more hydro? And as a, our cooperative board continues to ask that question. So we did a big study. We hired a firm to come in and look at all the resources throughout the island. And ultimately, for a variety of reasons, the number one opportunity to, to do more hydro and to do pump storage is located on this site on the west side. It continually scored is number one and really is the only viable hydro and, and pump storage area on, on our uh, island. It's, uh, we've been developing it for years internally. Um, ultimately, as the project progressed further and further, as we got into more advanced engineering on it. The, the cost of the project became uh, too high for KIUC as a small cooperative to, to uh, carry. The, the good, that's the bad news. The price was going up. The capital uh, side of the project went up. The good news is the project was actually getting better. We were having more storage, which had became more and more important to us during this project. We were able to design the project to be more reliable, to help our grid more. And 
we brought in a partner, it was either, what do we do? There's too much risk for us to do it because if anything goes bad, it would be very harmful to a small cooperative. Um, we really wanted the project to go. The project was actually getting better. So we looked around and we've been working with uh, AES on the two solar projects, solar and storage projects they've done. They're multinational company that happens to have a lot of experience in hydro and in hydro and pump storage. So it was a, a natural partnership that we reached out to them to say, hey, we've got this project. We've taken it well into development, but we need help to get it over the hump and and set it up for success. And they were willing to uh, step into the project and carry it out. Uh, they, they're uh, very sophisticated in uh, building projects. They're very experienced building projects on Hawaii. They know our grid, they work well with our engineers and our technical people and understand the challenges of what it takes to have such a large uh, investment in energy source on a small grid. So great partner, um, lucky to, uh, have them available and willing to uh, come and continue to try to expand their horizons as, as well as we do here on Kauai. And I think it's safe to say the reason they're interested in doing it is they see applications for pump storage hydro throughout the world, particularly with as more and more uh, areas get higher penetrations of renewable. So yeah, I can imagine had, uh, that. That is what they're looking at there. Let me um, let me ask you this. So, and I'm glad you brought that up because I wonder if this this notion of long form energy is is now becoming kind of more in the news these days. And we're hearing about how do we store energy for longer periods of time, not just for hours, but maybe days or even longer, right? So, uh, do you feel like are you hearing from uh, the AES or from others that this is something we're going to see more of around the world? Do you do you know of any other any other projects? Is this the largest one? This is, as far as I know, the only one that's tied to solar at this time. It's really the most grids and most mainland states you hear more and more storage is becoming an issue. There is, you're correct, there is more talk about longer duration storage, but a lot of them are still looking at longer duration being six hours or maybe eight hours of storage. Right. And they're still primarily looking at batteries for that lithium ion batteries. Talk about hydrogen, uh, hydrogen's got potential for a lot of grids, but I think that's going to remain very expensive over here to manufacture. So it's uh, areas that have topography. I think it will be coming into play because water is a very inexpensive source of storage and going bigger on water is uh, extremely inexpensive compared to going bigger on batteries. All you do have to do is have, have uh, pour more of it into the Containment system, <laughs> and you have all those ancillary benefits you mentioned yeah. before, which are pretty substantial. So let me let me uh, ask you some a uh, little bit harder question. So uh, oh. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I've been I've been softballing to you so far, but I want to ask you what what do you think about the the notion of uh, let's say um, longevity or durability or resilience uh, in contrast with a, a like a short a regular electrochemical kind of battery scenario for storage. I mean, a hurricane, for example, have you, has that been a discussion point? Have you gotten, can you clarify a little bit about, you know, what your mindset is on that? Yeah, no one knows for sure how PV systems and these batteries are going to hold up in a hurricane. That's so situationally dependent. We do know that pump storage hydro is going to be much more resistant. The, the, Penstocks and the ditch system are going to be fairly impervious to a hurricane. They are subject to uh, getting debris in and could have a multi-day period to get up and running, but 
they certainly should not be destroyed and should be able to remain and, and help enhance the resil resiliency of our grid. Also from a resiliency side, just having different sources of technology right. is increasingly important to us. We don't wanna have our whole grid operating on inverter-based uh, generation. There's a lot of challenges from a technical side on that. So this will actually have moving parts that the engineers and the technical people like because it makes the grid more stable. And right. it's better to better able to uh, withstand uh, system problems if there's a fault somewhere. So you got some diversification of, of production and storage in terms of technical diversification. That's interesting to me too. You're right. It's not, it won't succumb to the same issues. I spoke that there was an issue out there that would be, that would compromise the inverters, for example. Very interesting. Uh, okay. Well, let's see here. What's next? Um, so I, when we think about going to 100% renewables, uh, of course, there's the, the notion of how much can we do in a distributed sense in terms of homeowners, and then how much can we do in a large-scale sense in terms of these amazing utility-scale systems out there that you're working on? And not only you know you're working on solar and storage, and you're also got the um, uh, the bio the biomass right, and you have the um, the the PSH pump storage hydro coming online as well. So you've really kind of moved out until these amazing uh, utility-scale projects. What do you think about that that that? that balance of distributed energy from a homeowner's perspective and all these utility scale projects? Yeah, we've been very supportive of distributed energy since the time we were formed. And it's kind of an all of the, all of the above strategy for us to get to 100%, we need it all. Um, distributed really is, is a practical matter here. It helps control load growth. Uh, PV coming on helps offset new residents coming. We think it'll help uh, maintain our, our reasonable growth portfolio as uh, electric vehicles come on more onto our grid. Yeah. So we look at it as a, as a very important part of, of helping us get to the 100% or approaching 100%. It's nice, it's diverse, um, helps build our resiliency by having our generation all over the island, literally. So it's, it's, a, it's a substantial part as a, as a percentage it's probably going to be 20% or so, maybe growing a little bit over time, but nice. every bit helps. And it's, it's certainly a key part of our strategy. I can't help but ask that question. I, I owned a solar installation business for 10 years here in Maui. So I, I often think from the residential perspective, I want to jump into something else though. We, took, we mentioned the term um, islanding for the military base, and I'm looking a lot at microgrid in, in this particular video series. And of course, NREL is working on that uh, new study for um, looking at microgrid sites around uh, the, the state of Hawaii. And I wonder if um, if you're citing anything or if you're seeing any opportunities in Kauai at this stage of the game. Well, that, that's a really good question. And, and speaking of NREL, NREL's worked very closely with AES and with uh, KIUC on these projects, both the military base one and the project in Hawaii because they've been so innovative and in, in helping on these, these concepts. So NREL has been a player as well. I should mention those guys. Um, we, we essentially are a microgrid is how we look at our island, as right. small as we are. And there is a shift as we, as we start thinking about resiliency. Uh, what happens if a hurricane hits and, and really does damage on the west side where traditionally a lot of our uh, generation was located? Yeah. Our engineers over the over the years have been shifting more and more to the concept of island bidding sections of, of Kauai. Yep. Uh, we have, we're fortunate, we have generation in, in 
multiple areas. For example, one of our, our large, well, it is our largest single unit is a couple miles outside of Lahui, our, our town center. Nice. So they're working and continuing to get plans where if the west side gets heavily damaged, they could get Lahui back up and operating quickly by, wow. by having that, that plant itself operate on island mode and not serve the whole island, just serve a section. They open up breakers and take out um, sections that wouldn't be served by it and be able to get to the city center. I see. I so see. There's a lot of that. And at the same time, side, the uh, north shore of our island is a challenge. Um, very remote. Um, right now it has a essentially single transmission service out there. So trying to get the North Shore more resilient is a challenge for us. That's really a little micro grid is it within uh, Kauai yeah. and of course the West side. So we're working on it. We think it's more, a lot of it's interestingly transmission set up and working on the transmission, transmission and uh, substation uh, settings and controls to be able to island and take advantage of our existing generation. So we're working hard on that. I think that's going to become more and more of our uh, resiliency approach over the coming years. Right. And then how, how, how big is, I should know this, but how big is the grid? Um, what's the size of the grid? there? Our, our peak load is about 80 megawatts. So we're very small. Right. Okay. Got it. Got it. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. And as you're describing the resiliency strategy um, of the you know, having redundant sections. Uh, it reminds me of some of the uh, lessons learned in Puerto Rico uh, and exactly. different, radio, different grid, kind of redundant grids. Uh, I think it's uh, wonderful to hear that. It's kind of encouraging to know that we have that kind of resiliency being put into place presently uh, here. In yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's certainly a resiliency and being able to respond to storms and other uh, natural disasters is a significant challenge in all the Hawaiian islands and we're all working hard at it. And, you know, as you look at the mainland, it's becoming a problem all over. Um, wow. Keeping, yeah. our, keeping our electrical systems working, is, it's so essential to everybody's life and health and safety. And it's an obligation KIUC and really every utility takes serious and trying to figure out ways to do it is it's unique here because of our small size and right. really our exposure to different uh, disasters than on the mainland. I, I think our general uh, message from Kauai is there's a lot of possibilities to become more renewable, decrease your carbon footprint, and use these innovative technologies. It can be done all over. It takes work and teamwork and having excellent partners and, and creative employees and really a community that wants to see change, wants to see renewables come online and wants to see resiliency, but anything's possible. We're, we're fortunate to be out in front uh, because of a lot of unique reasons. And we welcome people to look at what we're doing out here to talk with us. And hopefully we can continue to be an example for others as they continue to, uh, convert to more and more renewables and, and help the uh, environment. I like him a lot. And I like what they're doing in Kauai. I love the island of Kauai. So I'm so excited. They've actually invited us to go out to the island, film some of the uh, production. I want to give a big thanks to Beth Tokioka, who's the head of uh, PR over there. 
and David Bissell for inviting us to kind of check this out and monitor this over time during the installation. But this is one of the most momentous kind of uh, PSH systems in the world right now. Uh, and how beautiful is it going to be? One of the things that he does mention in that art, in, in that interview, Jay, is he talks about the ancillary benefits and about having the new, um, being able to have the lohi, the actual uh, new agriculture kind of rebirthed throughout the different uh, yeah, elevations. Exactly. Wow. Holy moly. Exactly that. It was, um, it was the exact comment. I mean, this is all existing infrastructure left right. over from agrarian projects over the many years. And it's actually in disrepair now. So they're going to reclaim this, refurbish it, and then put it to new use. That's, Rowan that's Taro, possible, and, I mean, best ooh. possible outcome. <laughs> that is that is bonkers. I love the fact that there's these ancillary benefits no one would think about. I, I would never think about the fact that you'd be able to rehabilitate long lost, you know, taro fields because of, <laughs> because of <laughs> pump storage hydro, but a, a mechanism that you'll use to get to hundred percent renewables ultimately. All right. Well, thanks to David and to Beth and to everybody over there at KIUC. And we look forward to getting out there shortly and seeing it on the ground. Can't wait. Always, uh, always say it. Nothing, none of this stuff exists in isolation. You know, we all, it's, it's all needs to be a cooperative. Ooh. A cooperative. Very good. Very good. And it's not a, and along those lines. It's not a small thing to run a cooperative. I've learned about that. That's a huge endeavor that they've taken on and been successful with. So let's um, now we'll talk about nuclear. Now that we've talked about clean, the most clean, beautiful crystal water in Kauai, and everybody loves it. Why can't we all have pump storage hydro everywhere? Let's talk about nuclear, which is really important to do. Yeah, well, I mean, so. you cannot do these things everywhere. We've talked about the uh, the infinity train, which uh, reclaims energy with regenerative braking. We've talked about the uh, the truck that goes up and down the hill from the quarry and, and right. basically never needs fuel, you know. But the, that, that doesn't work everywhere. Right. <laughs> and, and you do need a firm base of power. We have tremendous power demands only getting larger. I was going through the, uh, the new F-150 uh, specifications, which we need to talk about after this. <laughs> Holy <laughs> moly. There's a, but, uh, the, the backup, but, but the, the, the power demands, the power demands, and this is going to basically the levy on the grid. Yeah. It's on the grid, but on individual households. I mean, a lot of, a lot of houses only have service upgrades, hundred, like hundred amp service. Uh, you cannot charge the extended range truck. Well, um, nope. without upgrading your entire service, which is a huge endeavor. Dude, I, we, I, let's not get too crazy on the F-150, but I was just diving into that with Damon today. And it was like, people are just going to think you can plug that thing into your house and back up your house. Sunrun's got the contract to be able to set up the interface between the F-150 and the house. And of course, they're going to try to sell you solar. And, you know, in the process, it's like you need to have, I think it's an 80 amp uh, breaker or something like that. Like there's some 100, pretty... 100 amp circuit just for the 80 amp charger. 80 amp charger, 100 amp circuit. So that's, yeah. yeah, I mean, not small. And for small homes like we have in Hawaii, that's a that's actually could require a multi-thousand dollar service upgrade. So, yep. you know, these things, that's beside the point. So I think the reason you brought it up, though, was that we are with this electrification of everything revolution upon us, we're going to need, we're expanding our energy consumption considerably. And we're going to need to have um, a lot of clean energy and solar and wind are pieces of the puzzle, but nuclear is absolutely critical piece of making this happen. We're seeing uh, advances. Jay, I want to give you credit for three, four years ago saying to me, let's go to Eater. 
in in uh in france and i'm like and we did we ended up in eater which is the fusion facility which is this amazing place we did shows on that and everything a while back but i was like why would we want to go see a nuclear facility we're a freaking solar com- solar organization you know and he, and i i give you a nod to that man that was the right move then and it's the right move now to understand it's, it still is the issue is what we learned is that it's so far off on the horizon still um, fusion we need, specifically. We, we need to look for, for our current fusion specifically so we need we need to look a little closer to home and that and then that brings us back to traditional <laughs> traditional uh fission reactors which are what everybody thinks of the issue is that that technology has really rolled on i mean we had the very first gen one reactors in the 60s um by the um, Gen 2 reactors, generally considered Gen 2, which, which is the majority of our 400 plus power plants around um, that are early designs. But technology has marched on since since 1970. And we now have Gen 3, Gen what they call Gen 3 plus um, passive safety systems, um, tiny small modular reactors that can be not much bigger than like a railroad car um, can be dropped in and power uh, power small, uh, small to mid-size, mid-size towns. Um, they come in little tiny sizes, used to have um, what, gigawatt range reactors and they cost billions of dollars to create years to construct or you can get one of these little small ones and the neat thing i've heard of recently is that you can actually if you have an existing coal plant that's no longer meeting um, Mm. federal guidelines for emissions they can curtail coal production and bring in some of these because it's already zoned and is a power plant they can bring in some of these um smr small modular reactors and supplement their generation with these so it's like a hybrid it's it's already outfitted to be a power generating facility they're just changing the medium that they're generating by so um let's uh, that's very exciting we did a show with an smr uh, organization we met in toronto and Mm -hmm. maybe about two years ago uh, we can check that one out and get the number in this. Uh, but let's talk about this article too, because this is about policy. And we yeah. want to try to cover policy, both domestic and international in our shows. We're also going to cover a bit of the markets. We've got something that's happening in the markets that I thought was fun. Um, but when we talk about what's happening domestically, this the title of this article says, U.S. Department of Energy just spent $6 billion on nuclear, nuclear energy infrastructure. So uh, this is this is happening right now. Were there any highlights in here, Jay, that we can share? About, um, you know, well, it's, it is it is a it is the um, civil nuclear credit program so it really is um, supplements uh, to the um, to anybody any any power company who designs and builds a reactor and I guess the designs exist but who builds a reactor and then uses it um, they get they get supplementary income from the government oh, I see. Um, but it is like but it is that um, yeah and it's and it's specifically meant to help us with our 2050 net zero emissions targets. You no, know, it feels it's similar to uh, like the wind conversation, the solar maximalists and not looking at wind and going, oh, they kill birds. You know, <laughs> and it's yep. like, and so I want, there are a couple of things I want to share here. This quote, nuclear power currently provides 52% of the nation's carbon-free electricity. <laughs> Underst- understand that. And there's a previous article, like, right? there, there are actually a bunch of the older um, Gen 2 plants that were shuttered, and they've seen their emissions rise. 
Pilgrim, right, so, Pilgrim, Pilgrim was very, very close to me when I was growing up. I, I remember that power plant. <laughs> there's a, a yes, Pilgrim, right in in your area. So in yeah. uh, in Plymouth area, right? So the yeah. um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna piss some people off with this. So Jordan Peterson, I I saw him the other day uh, on a podcast. I think it was with Joe Rogan, and he was talking about uh, solar and about uh, nuclear, and he goes, "More people die from solar every day than they do from nuclear." It just let it like deadpan right there. I would argue it's the same thing, but. (laughs) Right, right, even better. And so, but he goes, and then he's like, what? And he's like, well, you know, more people are falling off roofs. People are not dying from nuclear. It's just the bottom line. There are no, no. It is, is, I mean, it it could be catastrophic. We have been extraordinarily lucky, I guess, as a species, but because we've been playing with this stuff. But like I said, the the original power plant designs, the one that have, they, they call them active safety systems, where if someone needs to push the button in order to be safe, those have been completely replaced with these passive systems where that if nobody's there, say we have a a, a, a snap or um, a a whatever. um, EMP, you mean? No, no, no. I'm talking about like Marvel Universe, you know, half the population just disappears or you have a rapture event, you know, (laughs) that type of stuff. Um, It's not going to happen. (laughs) But if it did, this would be gone. Everybody's just gone. The system will continue to operate until it doesn't it can't and if there's some kind of failure in any way like the the material drops into place that will stop the reaction so instead yeah. of so it actually get, if it gets if it gets too hot ever it will shut itself off yeah so, so no human inter- intervention is actually required and those are yeah. not the way the original old reactors work I, you know i think jay that there's something like highly emotive about the idea of nuclear power that just seems to stick with people i think they in in my imagination people are thinking about the 50s the cold world war and nuclear weaponry they're thinking about hiroshima and nagasaki and all the things that happened to people and the horrible stories and you know i've met hibakusha is what they're called in the peace organization in tokyo i used to work with and heard the stories you know verbally from people that were right there in nagasaki and hiroshima and so you know they are horrific but it is something that is we're talking about different things they are related they are not the same thing somehow that emotive thing is just locked into the consciousness of of, of our society and yeah. people have a hard time discussing it. I mean, I even professionals well, Hollywood hasn't helped over the years either. <laughs> yeah. Even like professionals in the trades, in this industry that are supposed to, you know, be thinking rationally about uh, numbers and metrics and hitting goals and, you know, scientists, even scientists, people can be just extremely emotive about this. And it's, I, I really think we need to be comfortable talking about it. And that's when I saw, when I saw Musk the other day, you uh, saying, Hey, we got to ramp up our nuclear. I was like, Thank Jesus, because <laughs> people mm-hmm. listen to this guy, right? Thank, thank, thank God. I mean, they finally or at least start the conversation. If if people are listening to him, even if they don't agree, it's 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 a way to start the conversation because otherwise, yeah. it's non-starter. It's an uncertain. People will talk talk about nuclear. No, thank you. People (laughs) will laugh at you for bringing that up in renewable energy environments. People will literally mock you. And and it's so, um, I I don't want to be negative about it, but it is pretty darn ignorant. And it's, and and the, the real problem is that in the absence of that discussion, um, in the absence of embracing nuclear, as far as I can tell, we haven't got a shot at meeting climate change goals. We haven't got a shot. 
I don't, I, I don't know if you disagree with me, but I just cannot see how it pencils out. Um, we need nuclear as a core part of this conversation. It is absolutely critical, and uh, and we need to start treating it as such and not treat it as some pariah in, in a conversation. It's just ridiculous. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of people doing that. That's my opinion. Yep. No, uh, 100%. And, and uh, barring some, I mean, I, I always I have a tremendous amount of faith in, in science and technologies, um, but it is, it is a matter of efficiencies. Uh, again, where, where you cannot generate enough energy in a given space to satisfy right. our existing demand, let alone our growing demand. And so we have this moving target. That's what I keep talking about is we have this moving target of energy demand. And by 2050, we're going to be using this much more energy as a, as a society. Yeah. I mean, so, you can see it in your individual consumption right now. Like mm -hmm. if you're if you're sitting here saying I'm going to get an electric truck because I don't want to deal with the volatility of gas prices and the entry level F-150 is only 39 G's, 41 with destination charges, <laughs> so I'm going to go get that. I'm going to grab that uh, $7,500 tax credit, I think, right? And then boom, the net cost is is you know you sell your old ICE and you you, you know your internal combustion engine vehicle and then you 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 walk into a new truck, but whoa, you need an 80 amp charger. <laughs> right that just doubled yep. your house load right yeah so, essentially that right i mean it's it's it, you have a 100 amp service for your entire house yeah and now you need another 100 amp circuit just for the vehicle charger yeah and by the way my wife wants tesla so okay boom what does that do <laughs> so yeah. now Don't you're charge in them at the same time <laughs> in a totally different or run your dryer <laughs> yeah, it's but it's uh, it's exciting, but at the same time, we just have to be, I think, realistic. And I can imagine the the retort, right? Well, how would you feel, Josh, if you put a nuclear reactor in Maui, <laughs> right? I could just imagine the retort, right? Uh -huh. So, you know, of course, you know, if you're going to be living next to this technology, you want to make sure it's safe. But once again, it's not an emotive conversation. It's like, what does this thing do? How does it work? What's the safety? Do you have confidence in it after you've done some reasonable evaluation or not? That's it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so, uh, yeah, geez. I mean, and, no, that's what I, and that's what I'm trying to say is that, that, that we have another 50 years of science and engineering that have gone into making new nuclear reactor designs. They are not even what they once were. And the safety conversation is, is really absurd at this point. Yeah. And the, and the, the other the alternative to that, that retort, right. Would be, look, we're already seeing the beginnings of climate change. And I, and I think that we can have reasonable consensus that um, a man is contributing to climate change in a substantial way. And right now I'm seeing houses fall into the North shore ocean of Oahu, literally like a couple of days ago on the news in our local news, houses are falling right into the ocean. Right. Yep. So this stuff is happening. Is that safe? Is it safe for us to, um, you know, uh, we need to start working to deal with the effects of climate change and at the same time stave off the worst and, and that's going to be happening over the next decade and century. So we need like a new method, a new momentum of energy generation, storage, transmission, and nuclear is a part of that story. I'm sorry to, sorry about that book, Aruz. That's it. Yeah, just, <laughs> so, it just, it just is. Um, and, and yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> right. Stay so, we, but we gotta, we gotta be comfortable, you know, having the conversation. We can't be canceled because we bring it up. So, you know, yeah. the, um, all right, let's check out what's going on in is European union time. So, yeah. Um, so domestic policy is we're investing into nuclear infrastructure and the UK recently, um, banned all Russian imports of energy. Um, they were the only one in Europe, although they're not 
technically part of the European Union anymore. But just now we've had um, announcements from the from the EU uh, joint European action uh, to secure uh, sustainable and uh, secure energy. Uh, Commissioner President um, Ursula von Dillen, I am apologize if I can't say that one right. Um, but but basically, so we, we simply cannot rely on a supplier who explicitly threaten us. <laughs> and it makes perfect sense. So they're planning on um, phasing out all of the um, the Russian energy imports, which is, includes coal, coal, oil, and gas. Um, to the tune of like 28% of their, it's, I said it was 3% in the US, but they are directly connected by landmass to Russia. And it makes the, the importation of these energy resources much, much easier. They're, they're almost like 30% dependent on it. Um, they're gonna, the plan says that they're going to reduce by two thirds by the end of the year. Or within, it's crazy within a timelines, year, right? A year, um, and and then drawing down after that. It's it's just shocking how fast uh, this is moving. But then they're going to have to. Um, they, they're looking at their toolbox on how to to backfill this energy need. Before we know it, Putin will be uh, uh, what do you call it nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for making everybody adopt green energy. <laughs> Right. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't, so, wouldn't it be that? That was the long-term goal all, all, all along. He's like, I'm actually, uh, you know, like super green guys. You know, sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, uh, but you know, look, the, um, uh, when we think about the shift in from, we say two thirds up to the end of this year, we're talking within a given year, right? That kind of a shift. Yeah. And then yeah. I think they're looking at LNG. They're looking at uh, various forms of uh, talking about hydrogen uh, as well. They're talking about non-fossil gases. Uh, yep. You know, they're, they're saying, okay, we're going to throw every, you know, everything but the kitchen sink at this. And we're going to go after all the other, the alternatives that are available to us, basically. Yeah. And we're going to stop relying on this easy access. Uh, and, you know, when, when you have that kind of a joint, uh, I guess, consensus that they're going to you know make these shifts that's that's really a special thing so this is a you know it's an it's an interesting time in uh the the globe's kind of energy history we all of a sudden have all these technologies that are kind of available to us and the and we i think we also kind of understand that it's policy and people and decisions and administration that's kind of holding things up and it's in moments of crises where we can make decisions and see things happen quickly. I've always found that, what was the name of that book? The Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. This is real leftist stuff. But the, the, that, that was, she used to talk about in that book, how you know there are moments, these crises are so important. And she was talking about it often and critically about how you know uh, conservative movements in her, in her mind exploit these things. But in any case, you have crises and you have the opportunity to make shift and change. Uh, rather than this kind of long, you know, long slog that we run into because we're constantly debating. So maybe there's yeah, some benefits no, that come out of this. There, there's that. And but at the end of the day, I mean, at least in my mind, uh, it always comes down to money. Right. It's, it's right. as simple as that. And so when energy starts costing more, or fossil fuel energy starts costing more and renewables keep costing less every day, which one are they going to buy? Which one are you going to invest in? Yeah, I, I, I myself uh, do believe in the invisible hand of the market, Jay. <laughs> you know, I mm -hmm. really do. I think yep. that and it's, uh, and, and I'm thankful for it. You know, I, not I, so I, invisible. Watch it happen right now. <laughs> Mark my word. But you see the effects. You don't see the the push, right? What's you know, what is it that's pushing? Yeah. So yeah. it's um, it, it, I I do find myself feeling like I get hopeful 
right? When I realize that yeah. those opportunities are to make those decisions are in front of us. And we're starting to see this. It's, and of course, yeah, I'm joking about Putin being, you know, a, <laughs> a decent fella. I think it's no, clear it's, it's, that this it's guy is creating probably war. He's probably in, uh, responsible for war crimes right now. So he's a terrible human being as yeah. far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, but it's ironic that it could move us in a direction of uh, green energy faster and adoption of having better energy independence. Yeah, it's it's a little sad that it takes humanity, an event like this for humanity to make a move. <laughs> that's just how people make decisions. What is, what is, what is it? Okay, so that's our, our domestic and our international policy. We cover two heavy yeah. topics today, Jason Verkart. What is going on in the markets uh, and this is actually from a past uh, solar coaster guest. You know, we, we can say that pretty often these days. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of guests on the solar coaster in the past. This is uh, Energy Sage. Uh, Energy Sage is this was acquired by Schneider Electric. And the title of this article is To Accelerate a Shared Global Vision of Electrifying Future. That's some real marketing mumbo jumbo. But the bottom <laughs> line, Schneider, they make these you know great inverters and all kinds of uh, you know low control panels and, and and they work. They've been in the space for a long time. And well, Schneider's they, a big name if you don't know who they are. They're, they've been traditionally uh, much more um, I don't want to say generic, but your 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 regular standard um, electrical um, appliance and and distribution hardware commercial grade stuff commercial, yeah. yeah and uh so uh, energy sage is basically like this group that explains renewable energies online right and they have these kind of quick sheets and these study things and you can kind of get the sense for i don't know how we would frame energy stage exactly but well, uh we had a think tank but sure. right <laughs> and they do need stuff we like them we actually had uh yeah. the the ceo his name is uh, uh vikram i think right agro agro mm -hmm. is that his name and he came on and talked about energy sage and you know of course we're kind of in a similar space where we're looking to understand what's happening in the new energy economy and they're doing a heck of a job oftentimes we would cite some of their articles they had these great little cheat sheets to understand you know comparative solar plus batteries and stuff like that and that's pretty when cool it, when so, it works for you how to get financing for it all that stuff yeah they're helping people understand this right and that's kind of of, you know, we're kindred spirits in a sense with Energy Sage. And I want to, you know, just say congratulations to uh, Vikram. Am I saying his name right, Jay? I keep looking for his name. Um, Vikram and all the great people at Energy. Vikram Agarwal. Yeah, I said it right. Yeah. Um, so congratulations to Vikram. I'm so glad to see that. And I'm glad to just see the precedent being set for this, all this movement in renewable energies. You know, we're seeing companies being acquired, mergers, we're seeing, you know, great products being born, we're seeing funding, and that's that's wonderful, you know? And it, when, like, for example, uh, Generac and Pica, those guys are, I just talked to a guy that's installing them all the time. He said, this is an awesome product, right? Yeah. So um, it's wonderful to see how that market's kind of move us in a good direction. So yeah, nice job, uh, Victor. Yeah, with all, with all the negative news out there, there's all this great stuff. And it's great to see that like a company like Energy Sage can have real significant value to the point that they want to be acquired by somebody. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, Jay, any final words before I wrap this up? I just want to make sure that uh, if you haven't yet, uh, do subscribe to uh, Solar Coaster at uh, whatever your podcast of consumption of choice <laughs> platform is. Um, we've got a ton, an, an absolute ton of uh, new shows coming, uh, all renewable energy related topics, interviews that we've had backlogged uh, for the past few months. And we're going to be on regularly again for the foreseeable future. So looking yes, forward sir. to it.
Yes, sir. A couple events that are coming up. We have the Podcasters Roundtable with Tirecom on March 17th, and we'll be uh, showcasing some interesting news there. We do have finally been talking about this for the last couple of years. We have a, a joint project uh, going on with Solar Edge and their new battery bank and the Energy Hub system, as well as SPAN. Thank you to all the great staff at SPAN. SPAN is a load control panel uh, company, and we're going to be installing this technology in my home in the space of the next couple of months and testing it and releasing uh, videos uh, in order to uh, share how, how great this stuff is. So yeah. that's happening. Tirecom's happening. Always, this was, that was that was always the goal, right? I mean, we have with all this um, uh, these designs on being able to get product in and test it, and it was just coming together, and then the world ended. <laughs> yeah, now we're right. back, and now yeah. we're back. We're back, we're <laughs> back. The, the mass mandate's gonna lift by the 24th or 25th year in yep. Maui County in Hawaii. That's wonderful. And so I will wrap this just by letting you know what our next show is gonna be. We're gonna be uh, talking, I think uh, her name's Michelle, and with uh, uh, the Wells Dam Project at Wenatchee, Washington. We're talking in the storage series about the largest uh, Cummings Electrolyzer Green Hydrogen Project in the United States as of this moment. Uh, we're so going to cool. air that episode uh, in our next show coming shortly. So thank you very much, folks. This has been the Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy theme talk show here in Maui County and across the world, and we appreciate you very much. And please tune in to our next show. Aloha, and uh, talk to you later. Aloha, folks. Have a good one.